listened to this portion of God's word. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, But Mary pondered up all, treasured up all these things and pondered them into her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Well done, well done. And uh, how about that choir today? Wasn't that amazing? You know, I noticed that there were a, a few people in the choir that have never been in the choir before, so I'm excited to see that too. That's really great. So there was a family during the Great Depression that was unable to afford pretty much anything. They were struggling to survive, just getting by on the bare necessities. And one day, news came that the circus was coming to town. The little boy in this family was so excited about the circus. He ran home excitedly, eager to purchase a ticket for the circus. He asked his father for the one dollar that it would cost and his father said, son, I am so sorry. We just can't afford to spend that kind of money on the circus. But I would love for you to go. I would love for you to go. And so if you will go out and do some odd jobs, maybe you can earn enough money to go to the circus. And I'll tell you what I'll do. Whatever you earn, I will match. And let's just hope that we can come up with enough so you, you could go. So the boy worked feverishly over the next few weeks. And before the circus, just a few days before, he found that with his dad's help, he had enough money to purchase the ticket. So when the day of the circus came, he grabbed his ticket and he rushed to the main street where he stood on the curb and where the circus went by. 
He was thrilled to watch the clowns and the elephants and the circus performers as they danced and sang and did their thing as they passed by. A clown came dancing over to the little boy, and the little boy reached out and put the ticket in his hand. He eagerly eagerly watched the rest of the parade as it went by. And after the parade, the little boy couldn't wait to get home to tell his father about this amazing circus that he had experienced. The father was surprised to see him home so soon. And so he asked him to describe the circus. The boy told him about the parade and how it had gone down the main street and how he had given his ticket to the clown that danced over to him. And the father looked at his son sadly took him into his arms and said, Son, you didn't see the circus. You saw the parade. You saw the parade. Sadly, this reminds me of so many people in this season, in this Christmas season. We get so wrapped up in the lights and the gifts and the travel plans and and the parties that we allow the enemy to take our ticket to the main event. And we're content just simply watching the parade. But Advent is a season that challenges us to think and reflect about the main event. Emmanuel, God with us. And since this is the third week of Advent, the week of joy... What better topic than to look at than joy itself? To consider the meaning of joy. Where does it come from and how do we get it? What is joy? True joy is abiding in God. Abiding in God. Think about that for a moment. Knowing for certain that you are right with God, that you are in alignment with God, that he has you. It's the contentment that comes with having a hope that goes far beyond our circumstances. Challenges may come, struggles may come, but in Christ we are good. We are solid. We are covered. And if you were to look up the definition of joy in a modern dictionary, it would tell you that joy is the emotion or great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Keen pleasure, elation. But if you were were to look up the same word in a biblical dictionary, it would be quite different. Quite different. In fact, the biblical dictionary says that joy is a state of mind or an orientation of the heart, a settled state of contentment and confidence and hope in God. An emotion and an orientation of the heart are two very different things, aren't they? An emotion and an orientation of the heart, two different things. Emotions fluctuate with our circumstances, but an orientation of the heart is consistent regardless of circumstances. So what does orientation of the heart mean? Maybe we should start there. It's not something that we talk about with our friends very often. 
It's not like you go up to your friend and say, hey, how's the orientation of your heart? You know, just, just wondering. We just don't do that. But you might notice when you went up to your friend that they had this kind of selfish demeanor about them. That they were operating with a, a scarcity mentality. Maybe they were fixated on the things that they just don't have. Have you ever been there? We can be there. That's an orientation of the heart. Or maybe you notice that your friend is filled with joy, absolute joy and peace because they're, they're close to God. They've been sitting at the feet of God and their orientation is very different because of that. Their heart is set on Christ and therefore they're filled with joy. I think that's what Paul was getting at when he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You see, Paul went through some pretty challenging things, really challenging things, and yet he was still able to rejoice in the midst of those circumstances. He even goes as far as to say is to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's an orientation of the heart. Or when the psalmist says, you... Make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Again, he's describing an orientation of the heart. There was an unpublished letter that was discovered some years ago uh, from the great Christian author C.S. Lewis. It was discovered folded up in in a book that was in a used bookstore. And when they determined that this letter was authentic, they looked carefully at the content. And C.S. Lewis, in this letter, is describing his understanding of joy to a friend of his. In the letter, he says this. He says, real joy seems to me almost unlike security or prosperity as it is unlike agony. My private table is one second of joy. One second of joy is worth 12 hours of pleasure. Isn't that great? Think about that. One second of joy is worth 12 hours of pleasure. How could that be? Security and prosperity and pleasure... We seek those things, don't we? I mean, we work hard for those things. But so often we discover that they are fleeting. We get exactly what we've been seeking, and soon after we feel there's got to be something more than this. This just isn't enough. And it leaves us feeling empty and depressed. But not so with joy. Not so with joy. You see, God never intended for us to go through life feeling depressed. That was never his intent. He wanted us to be filled with joy all the time. Wherever we went, filled with joy, absolutely filled. So where does joy come from? We find the answer in the passage that was read today. In Luke chapter 2, 10 and 11, when the angels appeared before the shepherds, 
the angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born under you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, real joy, real joy, the authentic kind of joy that we're really craving comes from the abiding promise that God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. It is so much more than a three-word phrase on a Hallmark card. So much more than a, than a tweet or, or, or something that's posted on, on Facebook over during the holidays. You've gotten those letters, those notes. It's the arrival of our Savior. The arrival of our Savior. The only one who can reverse the effects of the fall. He's the only one. He's the only one that can overcome darkness. He's the only one that can enable us to experience the kind of joy that we most need, that we most desire. The Greek word for joy is the word kara, kara. And it means cheer or gladness or celebration. And it always comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's how you get kara. And when the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy... The good news is the work of Jesus. It's the fulfillment of his promise to you and to me. The Savior is born to save us from our sins and to reconcile us so that we can be with the Father once again for eternity. To break the power of sin and death in our lives. And it's important to note, by the way, who this message was delivered to. Who this message was delivered to. Shepherds. Shepherds watching their flocks at night, a ragtag collection of sheep herders, the last people on earth that you would expect God to appear before in the form of glorious angels to announce the most incredible message ever. They were the religious outcasts, shepherds. And according to Jewish religious law, shepherds were considered unclean. They weren't even allowed to be around shepherds. They were social outcasts as well, and they were always looked upon with suspicion. They were often accused of being thieves, and if something ended up missing, the first person you would look around for and accuse would be the shepherds. So entrenched was this view of the shepherds that law prevented them from giving testimony at a legal proceeding. It was as if their testimony, their word, could not possibly be credible or trustworthy. Being a shepherd was a very, very lonely profession, tedious and sometimes very dangerous. Many shepherds learned how to play instruments because for hours and hours and hours on end, they were sitting there watching sheep chew grass. Nothing else but chewing grass. No action in the middle of nowhere, no community. Makes you think your job isn't so bad, does it? Nobody aspired to be a shepherd. You probably wouldn't want your daughter to marry a shepherd. And you certainly wouldn't want your son to become a shepherd. Now imagine that you are God. You are God. And you are about to announce 
the most incredible, joyous news ever, the most important news ever, news that would change the course of history, the birth of your only son, the savior of the world. That's what you want to announce. Who would you tell? Who would you tell? Who would the invite list be sent to? Who would you send the announcements to? If you consider British royalty, if a child is born into British royalty, they don't send a message down to the docks to connect with the fishmongers or the longshoremen. They send their announcement to political leaders, to kings, governors, magistrates, people of distinction. But when God makes his announcement, none of those people are even considered. Not in the announcement. Only the shepherds, only the social and religious outcasts. Why would God make his announcement to those types, to the shepherds? What was the point that he was trying to make? God wanted to show the world that his love does not discriminate on the basis of class or occupation or education. God doesn't discriminate. You see, this gift that was coming into the world was for all people. Unlike the prevailing culture that assumed if you were poor or if you were uneducated, that means you were not blessed, that you were not in favor by God. That was the prevailing assumption. And God is turning that upside down through his announcement. The joy of his salvation is available to all of us. So how do we get it? How do we get joy? We must receive it. We must receive it. You see, the good news of great joy is always a gift that must be received. Kara, or joy, is almost always used with the Greek word dekomai, which means receive. So you have joy paired with receiving. You see, it's, a, it's like a spiritual gift that the Lord is bestowing upon us. But like any gift, it must be received. Let's deconstruct receiving for a moment. Can you receive a gift? Let's say that somebody from Trinity wants to give you a gift in Fellowship Hall after the service today. And so they seek you out, and they find you across the room, they come over to you, they take their gift out, and they hand it to you. Can you receive that gift if you are not facing them? You have to face them. You have to be oriented toward them. Can you receive the gift if your hands are not out and open, your arms lifted? You can't. You must make an effort and make yourself available. Your orientation must be changed in order to receive a gift. And the same is true of the gift of joy. Unless our hearts and our hands are open and we are oriented toward God, we probably won't receive the gift of joy. We'll miss it. When the shepherds saw the choir and the angels in the sky, they had a choice, didn't they? In that moment, they had a choice. They could have been like Jonah, and they could have run away. 
Or they could have been like the Pharisees and they could have hated him. They, should have, they could have hated on Jesus. They could have been like Herod. But instead, they chose to embrace what God was doing. You see, they, the orientation of their heart was one of openness. And so they received this incredible blessing of great joy. When King Herod heard the news, and he heard the news secondhand, by the way, he refused it. He refused it because he thought he had too much to lose. Can you imagine? Instead of embracing the greatest gift ever, he tried to kill every baby boy in Bethlehem and the surrounding area two years and younger, all for the fear of losing his reign. Can you imagine the crying and the heartache based on that one selfish decision? It's unlikely that any of us would do anything so dire, but in Romans 3.10, it says, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one righteous, not even one. You see, we're all fallen beings. We're all in need of a Savior. That's why this gift is for all. We need it. So Advent is incredibly important. Incredibly important. J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, you may have seen that movie series. You may have read the books. Do you know that he was the one responsible for bringing C.S. Lewis to faith? The two of them were very good friends. And C.S. Lewis went on to write incredible books that have transformed the theology of our Christian faith in such powerful ways. It's amazing what God can do. Well, Tolkien says this, and this is something that he has observed. He says that there are six deep longings in all people that we never grow weary of. We never get tired of them. We always have an openness and a heart for these six deep longings, and we find them in the theme of almost every great film and every great story. You want to hear what they are? The first one is the ability to escape time. The ability to escape time, time travel. Think of all the movies that you have liked that have that in them, or stories, time travel. Being able to move from your current position in life and go back in time to interact with people from your past or go into the future to see how things are going to play out. Number two, the ability to live forever. There's something mysterious about that idea. You see, we're all fleeting. We're all dying. We're all, we're all decaying, even now. But what would it look like if we could live forever in our current state, never aging, never getting older, all the things that we could accomplish, all the things that we could do, the fear of time slipping away before us would no longer be an issue. Think of the intrigue. Think about vampire movies. Think about vampires. I mean, it's a crazy thought, but we love those movies because they have this ability to, to engage with society over the course of hundreds or thousands of years. Number three, communion with non-human beings. Communion with non-human beings. The ability to communicate with animals 
or with angels or with spirits. There's a desire in each of us to do that. And how many times do we see that in great movies? Or how many times have you dreamed of it as a child? Trying to talk with a bird that landed in your yard, hoping that maybe that bird will understand you. And there will be some sort of supernatural connection between you and that bird. Or a cat or a dog. Some of you actually think your dog and cat can understand you, and you do have conversations with them. Number four, living long enough to achieve our artistic potential. You see, we all want to contribute to something incredible. We want to leave a legacy for good. And yet we sense that we may miss it because time is ticking by. And maybe we don't feel as though we've arrived, that we've contributed at the level that we would like, and we're concerned about that. But what if we knew we could? Number five, finding the perfect love. Finding the perfect love, your soulmate. How many movies center on that theme? Just about every drama. Number six, good triumphing over evil. Good over evil. We love it when good triumphs over evil, don't we? When the bad guys get it. I mean, when they really get what they deserve. Think of Rocky. Or, or Die Hard. How many times have you watched Die Hard during the Christmas season? We love the ending. We love it. That guy falling off the building. What was his name? Hans. Was it Hans? Yeah. That's, that's the best part of the movie. Somebody dying. Here we are Christians celebrating somebody falling off a building. Because we love triumphing over evil. And he was, he was the epitome of evil. Tolkien suggests that these longings, this is really great, I want you to pay attention to this. Tolkien suggests that these longings are a memory trace of the life that we were created for prior to the fall. That there's something in us, remember we were created in the image of God, so there's something in us that resonates and connects with what we were originally created to be. And there's something deep within us that is longing to return to that. And Advent, Christ coming into our world, fulfills all of these things in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? All of these things are fulfilled in Jesus. And isn't that we found God, that we were out on this quest for God and we suddenly found him, it's that He found us. He found us. He became like us to save us because he knew that we couldn't save ourselves. He knew that, and so he paid the ultimate price so that he could save us. He gave up his place in heaven so that we could find ours. He did what had to be done so we could experience true joy, real joy, the joy of our salvation, hope and peace. Everything that Christ is. Picture Jesus in this last moment of this message. Picture Jesus extending his arms to you with a gift. The gift of joy, the gift of peace, the gift of salvation, the gift of love. It's a priceless gift that he is reaching out to you specifically. He's standing in front of you. Will you receive it? 
What is the orientation of your heart? Will you hold out your arms and your hands today and accept the gift that Jesus has for you? Are you distracted? Are you despairing? Are you depressed? Or are you filled with joy and hope and a willingness to take what God has given you and allow it to transform your life from the inside out? Because that's what he wants to do with you. To invite you into his redemptive plan and to do greater things in you that you, you could ever do in your own strength or ability. I hope that you won't settle for the parade when you've been offered the ticket to the main event. Don't miss the main event. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Advent. Thank you for coming into our world. Thank you for your love for us, for the gift of joy. Lord, you are so good to us, and we are so undeserving, and yet you don't care. You look past that, and you say, listen, I don't care about the brokenness. I created them, and I love them beyond any, any, any measure, and so I will do whatever it takes. I will go to any lengths to bring them back into relationship with me so that we can be in heaven for all eternity. Oh, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.